evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Neighborish Livecast. I'm Super Dave, aka Mr. Incredible, and with me, as always, are the people that make the Neighborish Livecast Neighborish, our feminine energy, the meal prep chef, personal trainer, and fitness guru, Miss Fruitfit <coughs> herself, Patrice Jones. Hey, P. Hey. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. That's good, that's good. And my man, 100 grand, the life of the party. Always ready to, uh, 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 what's he always ready to do? Eat chicken. Smoke. They ultimately smoke, yeah, a little bit of everything. My man, <laughs> Just Mike. What's up, brother? It's good to see you guys. Happy hey, to be hey. out here, let's, let's do this, man. Let's have some fun. Definitely, definitely. And we have an awesome show for you today because I met our guest, today's guest, um, a couple of years back on a, a commercial, on a set for a commercial shoot for, I think it was for uh, Customs and Border Patrol. And um, the thing about these shoots um, is like, um, it's usually a, a, a whole day thing and it's a lot of downtime. So they moving cameras around and setting up stuff. So we had some time to talk, to chop it up a little bit. And uh, we found out that uh, we had a couple of things in common. We both were recording artists who were building, uh, you know, acting careers. And we had a couple of friends in common on both the acting and music side. What I didn't know at that time was that I was talking to one of the premier voices of the DMV. Now, uh, this guy's performed with people like Michael Bublé, He's um, done praise and worship services with uh, President Obama and his family. Him and oh, his really? band have rocked the 930 Club, the Blues Alley, a lot of the main venues in the area. Um, if you've been to uh, a Nationals or any sports team, most of the sports team in the area game back before COVID shut it down, you probably heard him singing the national anthem and getting the crowd hype. And on top of all that, the whole time he's been releasing music not just any like award-winning music like his 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 latest single which uh was nominated and won not one not two but three whammy awards ladies and gentlemen the extremely talented jerome williams is with us today and we're so glad to have him here what's up sir Yo, what's up, man? I'm, <laughs> I love that introduction. I appreciate it. Look, Michael was over there like, wait, Customs and Border Patrol? What, what y'all doing? <laughs> I need to get down, get down. It was a commercial, man. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's, man. that's, that's where it starts. Yeah, okay. We did that at Dulles. That was a Dulles yeah, airport. Yeah. That was probably like, what? That was like 20, God, like 2016? 16, I think, yeah, 16 or 17. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while, man. So it's good to see you again. Yeah, wow, you've been, you been working, man. That ain't even all the stuff you do that I said in the intro, man. You've been on the grind, and I'm, you know, proud. And it's good that you're a good brother, so it's good to see you out here winning, man. Um, we got a lot to talk about, uh, because you do, like I said, a lot of stuff, and we're gonna get into all of that first. There's a few things that's been going on in the city, in the country, in the world that we need to talk about, and we're gonna talk about it right now. Um, starting with, um, you know, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about, um, a lot of stuff that's been uh, prominent in the media lately uh, with the, you know, uh, shootings and different things, police brutality and things. And there's so much going on. Um, I wanted to talk to uh, to my co-hosts who um, are parents. And, uh, you know, because I started thinking about it this week and thinking about the impact of all of this and what kind of impact it's having on on kids, you know, on young people when they see this stuff. Um, 
and it's so abundant. It's like, you know, uh, do they start to get desensitized to? I don't know why I can't talk today, but, um, uh, um, you know, um, what what kind of effect is it having and what kind of things do you guys, um, you know, Patrice, we talked about this before, what kind of things you, conversations you have with your kids to try to, you know, help them get through these times and understand what's going on, you know? So, um, so I'll start with you first, Patrice. Um, Cause uh, how old is your son? Oh, he's 15. 15. Yeah. And that's such a pivotal age, uh, you know, uh, just because he's grown into manhood. And so, um, you know, do you see any effects of all this stuff on him? And if so, um, what kind of things do you talk to him about? No, uh, we don't, um, this is not, it's not a topic of conversation. It's like, kind of like a, honestly, I don't even think we've really talked about it because we, I think all of his life, I've been instilling in him certain things. So he's not surprised about what's going on. Um, and I don't think it's a desensitization. It's a, you know, this is, this is what's been going on. I mean, it's not, you know, similar. Like I told my son about the Rodney King case and he's very, very young. Mm -hmm. So for him to see this, you know, it's the only, I think the only, um, the only difference is this uh, uh, unifying thoughts that they're, you know, that's that's um, trying to be or portrayed or whatever it is, whatever's going on with, you know, I am. I'm, I don't, honestly, I don't pay attention. I don't pay a lot of attention. You know, of course I feel, you know, you don't ever want to see anyone pass. Um, you feel bad for the families. Um, but just as I said last week, we've got to start um, not making these things topics of conversation and not having them um, have our children emotionally, emotionally charged or discharged rather, but more so pouring into our young people from a very young age. And so their energy is, you know, they're in control of their energy and they're in control of um, their thoughts and their emotions and they know their power um, and of course not having them sit in front of a tv or a telephone that's number one um, so that's where I am me and my son don't really talk about it and um but he's Actually, you know what's it when you say it what is it Just define it what is it so it is everything that's going on in the news everything and, and, and forgive me when you say when you say you don't talk about it it's based solely on the fact that you've instilled in him certain things um, um there's a foundation there of, of awareness um and when you say you don't talk talk to him about it is that that to not um uh sully his spirit like 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 to put mm -hmm. him in a place where honestly i didn't think about until until dave just asked me it's not something that you know and you got you all know this there's certain things you experience as melanated men every single day so our children experience the same they've experienced certain things in school um they've experienced certain things that they've you know they've heard of or they've seen on social media so i think once you know i think we've all at some point had conversations with our children about just how to move as a melanated individual as a, or as a melanated man throughout life. And so when you see certain things, you know that it's all part of um, the systemic structure that, that we're living in. So I don't, I don't feel the need to have specific conversations with my son with regards to it. 
I, that's just me. I don't. Drew, Drew, you got kids? You got, you got nieces and nephews? Um, no kids of my own, but I do have a 12-year-old brother and a 15-year-old sister. So, wow. you know, seeing them kind of grow up in, in a world like this, um, you know, which some of the stuff we went through when we were younger, only difference is it wasn't all recorded on phones. Uh, so, you know, now with the social media world, I, I don't necessarily like go out to them directly and have the conversation. A lot of times they'll bring it to me. So mm -hmm. it's just, I just always try to create a space where they can just come to me and be honest about what's on their mind. Like we can have a, a, a conversation. It's not like me trying to um, talk down to them about what's happening. I just want to kind of hear where they're coming from and what they're thinking about certain things. And we just talk about it. Um, you know, but kind of like what Patrice was saying, it's like, you kind of have to be able to take your eyes off of what the media is telling you and, you know, kind of like what you see on TV and articles every single day. And, you know, when it comes up, just have a, you know, person to person conversation about it. You know, what messed me up is when I realized my son didn't know what a arraignment was. He didn't know what a plea was. He didn't know what Gucci was. And I was like, well, am I doing something good here? Because he ain't never really got caught up in the, in the mix. He doesn't know the terminologies. On the, on the flip side, is he in the dark? Does he understand what's going on? Does he understand, you know? If, if, I remember I, this is all subject, the same subject. So he walks in the room and Obama had just got elected. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, tears are flowing on my face. You know, it is what it is. And he's like, oh, why are you crying, daddy? And all he known is Obama. He's a little boy. That's all he's seen. You know what I'm saying? And he's Last half portion, the big portion of a decade, he's seen something else. Here we are now. He's seen what we've known. Uh, the world is seeing what uh, we've known. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when, when Ms. Patrice speaks to, to not talking to them, I, I wonder, could I ever talk to them enough? Because you know, when we came in, when we ride down to D.C. to drop him off at home, he don't realize this is about four or five hours after the verdict hit. Had it went another, another way, we wasn't driving down there. <laughs> we didn't come down there, you know what I mean? It's all of a ball game. Um, so I, I find it, uh, I'm impelled to speak to, 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 speak to them. I, um, I, I try to plant seeds of, a, of a love and honesty and, and, and realness in them to where they understand, you know, whether they have melanin in their skin or not, they, they, they are God's child. And in that, there's a likeness, there's a oneness, and, and it's more than what, like you said, the media will show us. So. And stuff. I, I'm talking to my kids all the time. I, I can't. My girls probably can't stand. And I'm real too. I'm real, like, raw, like raw, like you know. As you can son, see, yes. And my son, you know, I'm. I'm I, I don't have a choice. It's like uh, this little boy coming up. He's 13. If he doesn't know how to handle a situation where it's stop, freeze, sit on the ground, him, what do you? If he's not taught what to do, then well, it's the same way when he know how to wipe his ass or wipe his bike. Well, daddy got to show them all that. Yeah. It and it's become, it's sad that it's come to a point where it's that fundamental. I see our other host, Aisha, coming in. Better late than never, I guess, Ish. But uh, <laughs> we're going to get on it too. There we go. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey. hey. Not... Welcome, Aisha. Welcome, welcome. welcome. i see you today, Ish. Uh, well, you know, I'm looking kind of crazy because I'm literally just leaving. No, the gym. Patrice, Patrice, I'm about to do it. Patrice, I'm about to take it. I'm about to do it. Go ahead, look. <laughs> oh, my head. And, and Mike just half off earlier, so. I don't, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
I'm driving, so I gotta, you know, pay attention to driving. Like, it's mm, all right, that's it. We'll, we'll take sorry. that excuse. You know what I'm She that girl. She's like two inches from the motherfucking steering wheel. I like this. You know what? I'm not with you, Mike. <laughs> not with she said she's not with you today, Mike. <laughs> so, but yeah, I do want to, um, you know, uh, just touch on that a little bit. Just, um, uh, the reason I asked that question is I was uh, looking at my nephew and his his level of understanding of it. My nephew would be 13. Uh, next month. And um, we've had a few conversations. I just, you know, wanted to try to gauge, you know, kind of where he was with it and just the level of understanding. Cause you know, everybody, you know, uh, sees and perceives things differently. And so um, while a lot of the stuff he's gotten from myself, my brother, you know, his parents and then my mom, his grandmother, um, they're thinking, you know, of course, everybody, like I say, uh, perceives things differently based on their own lives and things. So, and, and he seems to have um, a pretty good grasp on it, actually a little more than I assumed, you know, and that's always interesting how, how perceptive uh, young people are and, you know, how much, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's how much more, I guess, uh, now they are privy to, so how much, you know, more they uh, is, is in their um, scope of knowledge. Now, Where were you at, Jerome? You want to say something? No, no, I was just agreeing with what he was saying because I think that's the most important thing in this whole conversation is, you know, I think sometimes for us as adults, we're so prone to want to like lay the knowledge on our children without really knowing how much they already know about the situation. So like when I was having this, you know, having to talk with my sister about it, she had actually come to me and I was mainly just listening to what she already knew about how things were going on. And I was, you know, kind of like what Dave was saying, I was in my mind, I was like, wow, okay. She knows a lot about this, but then I really shouldn't be surprised because of how much access people have to news and opinions, you know, these days, but you touched on something because uh, my brother has Asperger's. So that's one thing that I always worry about, you know, for him as a, a young black male, if somebody misperceives him based on his condition, and we've already seen cases like that, exactly. where yeah. somebody was having either a mental episode or somebody has some type of challenge or some type of disability, and that is not you know, readily recognized, and so then it's misinterpreted, and then we've got another name on this long list right. of people who shouldn't have been taken away. But again, it just, for me, it just comes down to, you know, how perceptive and receptive a lot of these younger kids are. And I'm like, okay, let me just listen to them, see how they feel about things. And then, you know, if they got questions, okay, then, you know, let's have a conversation about it. Right, right. And I think- um, All right, so do you guys find it more difficult because you're not parents? Like being the uncle or the older brother or whatever, what have you, do you feel like, you know, hey, that's not my place, whatever, or like, um, do you like embrace it? Well, well, for me, I'm uh, just for me. I think, um, for me, I think it's a little. Yeah, I can be a little more open with him and a little more honest, and and uh, it's not as much of that that position of um, trying to shield or protect them. It's more like I know that you know the more I instill and the more knowledge I give him, the better off he'll be. So it's more just you know trying to help him. Uh, you know, fill, fill in those 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 spaces that may be left by a parent who's looking more at, you know, looking at him more as this is my baby and I want to shield him from stuff. It's more like, nah, you're going to be out there and this is what you need to know. 
So let's make sure you know it, you know. And um, like you um, say, yeah. he wants to say a bad word, and he wants to say a bad word. <laughs> All right, so with, 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 with siblings, they're younger, younger, younger than you, you got to want to share something with them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's you know, and, and my siblings are two decades younger than me, so that that also has another dynamic. You punch him in the throat and get away with it. You know, like but we're it's, not for abusing kids here on the neighborish live I'm cast. So I, I just said punch. I mean, pluck. Just pluck. Just, just pluck. Not, but you know, it's like, because with my sister, it's a lot different because you know her mom passed away when she was three months old. So, you know, her life has been a lot different. And then for me, I always saw it as, you know, I'm not her father, but at least like I'm older enough than her that I'm not necessarily trying to talk at her with things that I say, but I'm always trying to be educational and I'm always just trying to be supportive of who she is and what she wants to do in her life, you know, and just showing her that, hey, I'm, I'm a resource, like you can use me. But I don't I don't find it more difficult because I'm a sibling. If anything, because I'm the older sibling and because I'm older by a significant amount, I'm just like, hey, let's just let's just have a calm, you know, cool conversation. You know, and I'm I'm here to meet you halfway, see what you know, learn from you, you learn from me. And that only has strengthened, you know, our relationship. So you know, that's just and that's my perception of it, you know, just based on our Oh, it's called family. It's family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Aisha, I know you um you know, I know you uh, spend a lot of time with your uh nieces and nephews. Um have have you had any conversations with them about the stuff that's going on or uh, is that something you kind of leave to the parents or So like literally I was sitting here like fully impressed on how not one time did you say or anyone say what specifically we're talking about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Because <laughs> your ass chimed in like late, Isha. Yeah, I was like, that's incredible. Like, not once, you know, the situation and the circumstances and, you know, the way that things are going on right now, this information in the news, I'm like, huh. Okay, what are we uh, talking about? Right. So the question I was talking about. um Shooting. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, I could have thought we were talking about, like, teenage sex. I mean, there was a lot of things that crossed my mind that were being discussed and I was like I have no idea what they're talking about. So yeah, just I was talking about it more specifically from the um from the perspective of of the young people, you know, how they've been perceiving it and um you know, talking to um Patrice and Mike uh because they are parents about um you know, what steps they take or or what they feel is necessary, you know, to uh kind of guide their kids do what's going on and um you know, and uh, and how they've been perceiving it and things like that. And so um, Jerome was saying that he has a younger uh, brother and sister. And I was saying with my nephew kind of giving examples. And I know you have uh, nieces and nephews, like I said, that you, you spend a lot of time with. And um, I mean, I know, but they, while they're getting older, they're still kind of on the younger side. So, um, you know, are they privy to all the stuff that's going on? And if so, like, uh, have you had any conversations with them? Or like I said, have you kind of been leaving that yeah. Yeah, well, I normally leave that to my sibling, but, you know, we, we do talk about, you, you know, their idea of what's going on. Um, I know, you know, I participated in some uh, protests and stuff like that, so we talked about that um, when George Floyd was um, killed last summer. See, she's breaking up. Native America, so yeah, they're not ignorant. 
Is she breaking oh, I'm up? Sorry, I'm driving. So. Yeah, yeah. We might have to. Uh, how I'm, long I'm before driving. you? How long before you stationary? <laughs> you heard me. How long before you stationary? I'm in my neighborhood now, so can you okay. hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me now or no? Uh-uh. I'm still breaking up. I can smell the lilacs. <laughs> we can up. hear you. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I was just saying. Yeah, the kids they're where you know my oldest niece is. She is. 14 now so they definitely wow. know um my nephew yeah right ian ian is 17 ian has a job you said um, 17 yeah, so they are 17 yes i didn't i haven't known you that long wait a minute well the, you haven't the kids have been here you know the kids wasn't fresh out the coochie wait. when i met i mean <laughs> i hate that word coochie i hate coochie and booty that's I, like a whole oh, nother conversation that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry, Patrice. I'm sorry, Patrice. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> but but yeah, so uh, yeah, so, yeah they she know. said it. She said it. <laughs> yeah, so um, so but like you said, you haven't really um, like you kind of leave that more to their parents, which is something you know that's that's definitely a um you know, something that parents prefer um, from time to time. You know, you don't want to have your kids getting that kind of guidance from other places. I mean, and I, that's just me assuming as somebody, is, is that is that a, a right, Mike, uh, Patrice, is that something what, what you would like? What would you do? What would you do? What would I do, me? Yeah, it, like, let's say it's your child and they come in the room and say, hey, dad, this little, this girl just got shot by the police. But I was also listening to a, a verdict in like, I felt like unbelievably awesome that you know finally some ju some justice had been served, but damn, I'm watching this 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 girl get shot and killed, and damn, it's like oh, oh another one shot and killed. It's like it's like dad, it's constant. Like what, 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 what do we do, dad? You know what, what would you tell him, man? Um, well, I mean, I would just um, that's a good question. Uh, I would probably just uh start by trying to give him some kind of um understanding of the situation of of you know uh the specifics of it it's and, on uh, tape babe it's on tape well she don't think i understand what happened yeah, yeah. i mean i'm, yeah, I'm trying to think of what yeah, that's, yeah, like, that's a real good question i don't even you know uh because uh, if he was asking like what can we do i mean it's not really much we can do right like we just got to try to you know um uh govern ourselves um exactly in a, in, yeah like what can we do that's yeah it. we just got to try to make sure that we move in a way that we, you know, um, uh, help me out, Patrice, what we need to do. <laughs> yeah, look, now I'm trying to be quiet because. No, come on, jump in there. What you got? You can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> seeking justice in an unjust space is, is literally like it's, it's a, it's a show. It's, that's what it is. We, we're talking about justice in an unjust space and an unjust system. Why do we, why do we keep looking for it? Yeah, We've been looking yeah. for hundreds of years. It's not there. And so just like you said, we have to focus governing governing ourselves. Um and and you know, going back to you know, me and my son, what I talked to my son about, you know, my son does he he has a like five people and they get on the phone and they, they have this whatever, it's like FaceTime and they get into debates about real life stuff, whether it's uh, the feminist movement or, you know, uh, 
what they want to do, what college courses they're gonna take. It's it's a it's on a, like, different. We gotta stop putting this stuff in front of our children because do you see other uh, uh, race for lack of a better word? Do you see them honing in and talking to their children about the mass murders, like uh, mass shootings? Like, do we ever see that? Well, I, I do feel like if it's if it's put, it, you know, because they like uh, Jerome was saying, it's it's uh, with so much access now, so they're seeing it. So if they if they right, see it and bring it to you, like, what do you do with that? We don't see it on the radio stations. We don't hear it. Nobody's asking. You know what I'm saying? Like, not saying it's bad for you to ask the question, but I'm just trying to change the the mindset for a second. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not asking white parents are they talking to their children about the mass shootings and are they, you know, how how those conversations are going because they happen so so much and they're so prevalent. They're focused on their studies and they're focused on their home life and honing in on their their family life. And that's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on our children and our home setting and our and our and our families. That's it. That's for me. Now what y'all do, that's for me. For me, could you bring up a good point though? Because a part of Part of what has been the issue with us has been, you know, a lot of these things that have happened to us, which is no secret, have been very reactive rather mm -hmm. than us saying, like, how can we be proactive? And I think that's that's something that has affected the black community for as long as, you know, as time can tell. You know, mm -hmm. and, and especially when it's just like you said, it's being shoved in your face constantly. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you have no need, you know, you have no other way but mm -hmm. to address it. But to it's answer about, about why white families and other races are not talking about these issues as much as like we are. Unfortunately, the one thing I noticed during the pandemic is that it's easier for them to turn off that switch. It's easier for them because it doesn't really concern them. Because at the end of the day, they're not they're not getting pulled over like we are they're not getting questioned like we are you know what i mean it's like I, i've had i've done forums like this over the summer to address those things that you're talking about because i was definitely trying to be one of those people to say well i need to talk to white people i need to talk to hispanics i need to talk to asians because i need to see what they're thinking because otherwise i'm not gonna keep shouting into the ether you know that about how we need to be respected and how all we want is respect and dignity if they're not even going to address it themselves. So, I mean, and the stuff that I'm hearing is crazy because like, for example, the fact that we have to talk to our kids about where to put your, your registration in your car or what happens when you get pulled over by a police officer, but then we're seeing videos and stuff from other races, they're over there threatening police, uh, hitting cars and all this other stuff with no judgment with no consequence but with us it could be just the very simplest things and somebody's not going home so there's so much to unpack but at the same time i agree with the sense of we have to attack it from a proactive standpoint versus reactive because like you said if we're doing everything right in our households to teach our kids about how they can be one in the world and be you know, noble citizens, then nine times out of 10, some of these stories won't happen. That you hope that our family is not the one that happens, but right. we, we just gotta be more proactive about how we 
about how we carry ourselves. Yeah, and it's apart from being a noble citizen for me. It's like I tell my son, it's about knowing your innate power and knowing how to move in every single environment because that environment is you. Every room you walk in becomes you. And if you know your power, then in any situation, and, and a lot of people would disagree with this because many people are led emotionally, just like you said, they're emotional. We're being emotionally triggered every single day. If you've watched your, for a few things I did, I took Facebook off my phone, the app. I took Instagram, the app off of my phone, right? A couple, uh, week or t- two, two weeks ago or so, but I'm on a browser. But it, then again, that's a different experience too. And I, maybe I should share that. So having only the browser, guess what? I don't see the videos. Mm. I don't see Facebook watch. I don't see um, the the police videos and stuff coming through my timeline. Go to feed. You ain't getting that feed. Right, because, it's because of the algorithm. So if you have the app, the app is tapped into everything on your phone, but the browser is not. And so they know our algorithm. So everything that we see, they know, and I, when I say they, I'm talking about the machine because it's not somebody looking like, oh, what they doing today? It's the algorithms. It's the, what do they call it? The monster computer or whatever. It's, it knows exactly, it knows what we're, it, it knows what we're going to be thinking in five minutes. People say, oh, I saw something. Oh man, I was just getting ready. Well, it already knew that based on your behaviors, based on what you watch. And so every, so tomorrow, I guarantee you, because we're talking about this tomorrow, y'all are going to see a new video from like 2018 of somebody getting pulled over and some sort of new case in your timeline. Like if you look at all of the, if you look at the cases, there was something else recently that just came up, I believe. And it was from like 2019 or 2020. And I'm like, nobody's paying, I mean, yeah. No, nobody thinks that's kind of weird. Like yes, you're right. It's there's a there's a documentary on Netflix. It's called The Social Network. That's all. Yeah, yeah. About, yeah. yeah. The, so, the social uh, dilemma. And it is wild. Yeah. And it's like it really makes you think about that stuff. But the thing we also got to remember too is we control social media, not the other way around. And I know it's like you look, think about that, and you're like, wait, really? But at <laughs> the same time, it's like you said, you took the app off your phone. Mm-hmm. You, Instagram off your phone. You control the narrative. So it's like okay. we do that and we take a more active approach. Again, proactive, mm-hmm. reactive. Mm-hmm. We can make we can do so much more as a people, in my opinion. You know, so I I just think about all those things every day, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, I think that's a good way to uh to put a button on that uh topic. Mike, you look like you got something to say. How you said, uh, 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 between them, us, me, Dave. Okay. Thank you for that, Mike, for that input. I appreciate <laughs> what you had to say about, uh, your critique of me in the middle uh. of what we're doing here. Thank you for that. Anyway, I do want to talk a little bit about, before we get into, uh, the interview, see, now I'm subconscious about the, uh, ah, <laughs> before I get into the interview, I did want to talk a little bit about the Oscars uh, last night, just because there were a few things that happened uh, that uh, that, <laughs> that were notable. Be confident with your uh. Yeah, yeah, uh, that uh, no. But uh, but uh, Aisha, you still with us? Uh, maybe not. Okay, because I know she saw it. But anyway, uh, and Jerome, I know you. Is she there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I was. Uh, 
get my uh moonlight ritual together. What's up? It's all good. Did you see did you watch the Oscars or did you see the highlights? Um, I did not watch the Oscars or see the highlights. No. Oh, um, surprising. Yeah. She okay. has a life. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, but uh, but I saw the highlights. Jerome said he watched the. Uh, I'm sorry. He watched the ceremony yeah. itself, and there there were a number of stories that came out of it last night. Uh, one of the big ones was, uh, Glenn Close doing the butt. Yeah. And, uh, she did to 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 Sugar Bear. Sugar Bear, yeah, yeah. and she knew stuff about it. I don't know. It seemed like it was scripted. She did have some specific knowledge about about the butt because uh, Lil Rail was hosting and they played the song and they, he was just going around the audience asking people if they knew what it was and she was like, "Oh, that's uh, oh. that's the butt." <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so there was a lot of build up before that moment, which okay. made me think that it wasn't scripted. Okay, okay. but. You know how it's like sometimes, you, you know, Lil Rel, he was like going to go to his people because you can only do that segment for a specific amount of time. So right. he was like pretty much the featured host for that segment. He had done some of like the pre-show stuff too. Okay. But anyway, so the, the, the segment was he, they played part of the songs that Questlove was curating. And so you had to guess whether the song was a Oscar nominee, a winner, or it had never been nominated. Okay. So first he went to Andre Day. And mm -hmm. Andre Day, he they end up playing Purple Rain. Mm -hmm. And oh. so come to find out, Purple Rain has never was never nominated for Oscar, but the score won. Oh, okay, okay. And Andre Day was like, oh yeah, well, that's typical. Like it was like full on like attack at, wow. at voting which rightfully so you know yeah, yeah, yeah um so yeah then he went over to daniel kaluuya and then asked him about a song i forget which song it was um oh it was donna summer last dance and right. last dance had won an oscar for best song so then he goes to glenn close right and they start playing the butt now I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, Glenn Close don't know this song. Right, right. He don't know. Then she starts dropping facts about, oh no, this is a group from the DMV. This yeah, is a, a DMV, yeah. band named EU. And this this song is called The Butt. And we was like, I mean, like every time she starts saying something, I'm like, okay, Glenn. Right. You yeah. know about the DMV. But I'm uh, uh, he asked her, he said, Do you know the dance? They kept playing the song. She got up and, and did the butt. Start doing the butt. Yeah. yeah. Went crazy. So Glenn Close doing the butt. It, was, it was a crazy Stop moment. There. But um, yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, like I said, it felt a little scripted to me, but but it was it's funny, you know. Uh, and and rail is funny too. But um, you got your hand up, Mikey. Yeah, things to stop making me masturbate for six hundred uh, Alex. Oh, oh uh, Glenn Close doing the butt. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the reason I want to talk about the Oscars is because it's a little bit of controversy around uh, some of the winners around, um, you know, they said Chadwick Boseman um, didn't receive an Oscar. I think uh, he lost to Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and his performance. Uh, they didn't you know, and I mean, they give it, you know, they make sure it's somebody who's kind of, you know, because Anthony Hopkins is a great Who didn't actor. even show up? Who didn't even show up? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't there. He had to do it over, um, you know, uh, via... Whatever. That's all I heard. No, he and, wasn't, uh, wasn't that, present at all. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he had that's to do all it I heard. Over. I mean, he sent the video in, right? That's all I heard. On the, on the yeah. Joe Clay Morning Show this morning, riding home to work. Um, riding to work. Come on. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, 
uh, Judas and the Black Messiah was uh, nominated uh, for Best Picture. They didn't win. Um, I forgot the name of the picture with uh, 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 what was name? Francis McDermott. No Man. No, yeah, No Mad Land. Mm-hmm. And um, but the thing that was interesting about Judas and the Black Messiah, and that's why I was saying, Mike, that I wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, just the level of little little uh, uh, covert jabs that's taken at our community. It's like. How uh, so? Daniel Kaluuya wound up winning for Best Supporting Actress. So the two stars of the movie were Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Lakeith Stanfield, right? Uh-huh. They both were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So it's like that's kind of like who was the star then? Like supporting actor supports the main actor. How can they both be the stars and they both were? It was just weird to me. But little things that they do. But that's one of those situations. Um, uh, kind of like. Um, you know, it's one of those situations where it's like uh, we're asking for um, or, or looking for validation in, in a place that doesn't really validate us anyway. And so, you know, uh, the Oscars hasn't really been that for years. And um, while they're trying to t- talk about making changes and strides, I think it'll be a long time if they ever come to a point where we're really recognized for the excellence, you know, um, that Black people put forth on a regular basis. And uh, and things I will, like I will say this from last night, you know, you had first, even though they say woman of color, she's Asian, so first woman of color to win best director that happened last night. Uh-huh. Judas, Judas and the Black Messiah did win best song, so that her fight for fight for you that won yeah. best song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, they they also won for I believe it was um, hair and makeup yeah. or costumes. So Judas and Black Messiah won various awards, which also Black Panther had won a couple of those awards in previous years. So I think we're we're starting to see a shift. There was a, there was a lot of diversity at the Oscars last night, which I will say, you know, especially having like uh, the the variation of hosts. So like right. Regina King kicked it off. Halle Berry was a was a presenter. They I mean obviously they're going to have past Oscar winners be presenters. Um, but there was some diversity, not just from a color standpoint, but also from a uh, geographical standpoint. Yeah, nationality. You know, you know yeah. people that were winning who were from France, who were from Denmark, from Asia, who, who that hadn't really happened in years. Was it so much to the point where you, where you noticed it? Did you notice it? Did, did I notice what, the diversity? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was very apparent. And then especially having Questlove be the curator. Don't, don't speak to what Patrice, what Patrice is talking about, though, the, the design. Mm-hmm. It speaks to what Patrice is speaking of. It has been the, the design, the whole right. of the charade, the charade, the bullshit. Forgive me. It is what it is. How'd you know I was sitting over thinking that? <laughs> because of the look on well, your face. With all due respect, and, and I, I mean this respectfully because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a consorted effort. Love is not effortless. Respect, perhaps, is integrity. If it is, it ain't real fucking integrity. But ultimately, love is not. And you don't love me for what I bring to you, dramatically or, or singing and all that. You don't love me for that. You love me because I put some fucking money in your pocket. And ultimately, I don't need that love. I'm good. I think. I think if we. Gosh, I'm so. I have. I. Dave, you already know I'm way left. I'm just I'm gonna try to keep this like kind of clean and to the point. So if we really like if we close our eyes and don't use our eyes to see, 
if we watch the Oscars and like close our eyes, like I don't, I don't watch any, I haven't, I didn't see them. And honestly, I don't know the people that you all are talking about. But if you think about right now, everything that's going on, there is, it's a massive effort. Like, I, okay, go, going left, this is kind of deep. Hey, so I, I, have, say this. Go ahead. I, I haven't watched TV in many, many years. I haven't had cable. It's been over 10 years. And uh, the other day I was on my browser and somebody said, posted that on Law and Order, Stabler told, uh, what's her name, that he loved her. Mm -hmm. And so I used to be a huge Law and Order SVU fan. Only SVU, I ain't watched nothing else years ago. This was before my son it's was a good born. show. It's a quality show. Yeah. It's a little it depressing now, but it's a good show. Girl, Dave. And huh? so, girl. so I said, so I said, well, let me see. So I Googled to see if I could, my girlfriend was like, you should watch it. And I'm like, I was thinking to myself, how am I going to watch this? Because I, you know, I'm not tech savvy. So anyway, I Googled and NBC had an app where you could watch it for free. And I was yeah. like, oh, God. So I downloaded the NBC app and I looked. Y'all, I couldn't believe that everything that's going on right now was in these episodes. I was oh, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You couldn't believe that? I was, I was, I was, I, I was gravely disappointed. I was, I was <laughs> disappointed. My girlfriend, I was like, "Did you see this shit?" Like, I, it's just so much. I just couldn't believe it. They put everything in there from George Floyd to, um, is speaking about how all scenarios. She's right. You got all, right. all of them. All of them. I mean, they, you know, they took all it ripped from the headlines and they put this stuff in there. You know, no, it was beyond that. So the, one of the detectives, and you know, I, I'm I'm gonna just be real. So we already we always talk about the black family and heterosexual relationships and having children at being the family. And everywhere you look, and I always tell my son, you have to be very conscious of the feminist movement because it's gonna break the family. The, the, the only, the sister in there, the detective has a girlfriend who's pregnant or a wife and it's a, another sister. And then, wait a minute, then the only sister in there that's smart, supposed to be a mathematician, a PhD, is divorced from a white dude. I, I was like, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong, you know, do you? But I'm like, why does this continuous, continually have to be the, 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 the playwright? It's just, it's just, and I was, honestly, I turned it off. I was like, this is too much. It's not why, I, right. see, this, this is, you're going, they're going right along. And then there was a, uh, a dude, uh, uh, a young man in a halfway house um, for, uh, he was in a halfway house for dating a white girl. <laughs> and he dated a white girl. He, no, he dated a white girl and the parents called. It's just like, like 1965. The parents called because they wanted him to be locked up for statutory rape. He as soon as he turned 18, they got him locked up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that episode. That was the last. Yeah, I was something. just like, yeah. you think I want my hell no that don't say nothing about power that says this is the spot you're supposed to be in we're gonna take you to 1965 and this is what it looked like i it was just too much so anyway back to what we were talking about 
I'm sweating. Back to what we, because it's so serious, you know. I'm not sweaty. I'm fat and I'm not sweaty. Everybody smile. <laughs> fat man, that's <laughs> So back to what you were talking about, like, I just, you know, it's a lot of things that we don't know because I can't say for sure because I'm not in show business at all. And I know some people are, or some people have been, you know, in places in LA or other places where they can speak to the game, um, you know, thoroughly and really know what they're talking about. But this is just me and my opinion. I think so, so much of it is orchestrated, politicized and, and bureaucratic that I don't really read too much into it. So I'm listening and I'm, you know, I think it's cool, you know, but. That's, uh, that, that's Patrice's fist up moment for the evening. <laughs> Boring. I don't. I don't. <laughs> you said what? I said I'm sorry, y'all. I'm boring. <laughs> no, boring. So, uh, I, I I honestly appreciate talks like this. I appreciate hearing other perspectives about things like this because I mean, obviously, that's how Dave and I met is through through the entertainment industry through show right. business because because oh. we're, we're both like we're both actors. So yeah. you know, yeah. like when I've I've watched the Oscars like over time now I I will admit like I've lost kind of the, the luster for it that I once had because I think the older you get you start to realize kind of like what these award shows are really for like you know sometimes it's I mean it's it's great to be nominated it's great to win an award like I know we talk about that a little bit later if it, it's it's an amazing feeling but when it becomes like your only pursuit right that's when the work gets lost that's when the like get the nitty-gritty of getting into the business gets lost and i will say like i said it was for to watch the oscars over all these years and not see people who look like us mm -hmm. nominated and now to start to see that trend start to shift it was it was kind of like a okay but i also see what you're saying like are they doing this because they genuinely valued the work from that person? Or did they know they were going to catch hell if mm. the nominees weren't as diverse? Right. Mm. That, that's like the conversation that we're in right now, like this middle ground. It's mm. like, do you really appreciate the work we're doing? Or are you just putting us there because you fulfill a quota for these nominations? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but I, I do hope that like this is the sign that we're starting to turn the corner because make no mistake. I mean, Daniel Kaluuya did an amazing job playing that role. But I mean, and again, it also opens another thing when we talk about British actors versus American actors. Yeah. And I could get into a whole slew of that. Um, what's that what was a, it was amazing. I couldn't understand a fucking word he said, first of all. <laughs> secondary, secondary. You did a good job, Mike. No, no, no. Excuse me. Have you ever heard of Fred Hampton? Did you care to listen to Fred Hampton before the movie came I've out? I've heard Fred Hampton speeches before, 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 before the movie. Before the movie, yes. I had no choice. And so I am utterly... I need you have to hear the voice. Yeah, you have to hear yeah, the voice yeah. of the man and respectfully while he was darkening all the aces of spades. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for me because of his complexion and, and, and the piercing eyes that he has. I got I got all that. Uncle fucking from Brit, 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 uh Great Britain, Uncle Fuck. Ultimately when I when I put the movie on and I tried to hear the the the, the, the conversation. There are things and nuances that he completely misses because he is not from here. Right, he's oh, not yeah. from Chicago, right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I have to ask, because I haven't seen the movie. 
Are we saying that the guy that played Fred, Fred Hampton wasn't um? Where is he from? He's from the UK. He's British he's, get out! He's from Get Out. He's from Get Out. That's where he's from. He's great, but he's oh oh I know he's, he's like he, he he doesn't. It's it's not even a Chicago slang. Fred Hampton is on wax. This brother words are for us in here for us even now. We can stop. I can put it on my fucking phone right now if we want. And, and, and ultimately, that in essence is because when you show that visually, I understand that's what you're giving the youth. Me personally, I'm still listening to Malcolm on tape and, and, and Dr. King on tape as well. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I know you put, you know, Fred Hampton on a certain pedestal, and, and it's hard for an actor to kind of capture the level of reverence that you have for him. Oh, shit. Right, no, no, Jamie, Jamie Foxx got Ray Charles. <laughs> that's a whole different thing Jamie was channeling Ray Charles but uh, but before we get too deep into that conversation because it's already 749 I do want to start this interview um, with uh, do that. yeah yeah and uh, we'll, we'll uh, you know get back to that offline when we can talk about it freely and uh, you know yeah so anyway uh, but yeah it's Ro what's up man <laughs> I appreciate you putting up with our craziness and our, uh, you know, um, uh, opinions and things of that nature. And I, I'm putting up with ain't the right word for sharing with us and our, uh, you know, opinions and our, you know, uh, points of views and things of that nature. Um, like I told you, man, I, I love talks like this. I love to hear, you know, different views about things, even if it's stuff that we may disagree on. I mean, because we've all seen, you know, over the past year, when we don't get a chance to actually sit down and talk things out, you get very polarizing uh reactions yeah, and yeah, so, you know it's very important for us that we see all things from different sides and that's just a part of our experience and you know i i relish that i i i want us to do more things like that because that's how we understand each other better yeah i'm, I'm glad you said that too because that's that's one of the reasons that i enjoy these type of conversations and that i try to push for these type of conversations because exactly what you said because when these conversations aren't had it's easier uh, for people on uh, opposite sides of a given situation to start to fill in the blanks for the person who they're not having that conversation with. And that's when ignorance and stereotypes and, and just miscommunication comes in. If I can clearly state my you know, opinion to you and you can clearly state yours to me and we can get to a point where even if we disagree, we understand each other's point. Um, I think that's that's an um, uh, an amazing step forward, and it's something that we all need. So thank or you for being a part of it. Head. And yeah. shut up. And uh, shout out to my uh, to, to the neighbors crew for uh, for our uh, conversations. I always appreciate it. Um, now let's the talk interview. to Ro. Uh, so yeah, man. I, um, you know, uh, like I said in the intro, man, you do a lot of stuff, man. And um, I'm just uh, first of all, um. I always say one of the reasons that I do this show is to bring people on here who uh, who I see grinding, who I admire their, their, their grinding, their, their, the way they move, and, and let them know, man. We all about giving people their flowers. So I just wanted, you know, to say to you, man, I see you, bro, and I'm proud of you, and uh, keep grinding and doing your thing. Um, yeah, because because it's dope, man. You you got, uh, what, three, three Whammy Awards? Yeah. yeah um, I'm still kind of, it's still surreal, honestly. Um, yeah, and that was almost what a month ago now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because it, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. It's, you know, you you see people win awards and you see those kind of things, and yeah, while you you aspire for them and you you know you hope that's what you earn one day, but 
even on that night, like when I won those awards, I wasn't jumping up, you know, running halfway across the room, like, you know, just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I was just kind of very internal. Mm-hmm. I won the first award. I was sitting there with my parents and me and my parents spent a lot of time together during quarantine. We understood everything that's gone into this year, everything that I've busted my ass to do this year. And I just broke down, man, because I was just, it was just a feeling of humility. It was a feeling of, of gratefulness. And yeah, I just broke down and cried in my, in my mother's arms like a baby, man. It was, <laughs> and then by the third award, I just fell on the floor. I, I couldn't oh, say nothing. Cause yeah. you just, you know what I mean? It's, it's like you, that's what you work for, but it's still right. unexpected. And it's still yeah. like, wow. Like they actually chose me. Yeah, and yeah. especially with this area, because the DMV, I fight for the DMV every day, like in terms of any interview I do, like I always talk about how talented this area is, how there's just a lot of go-getters in this area, even people who are trying to do something, even if it's on the side, if you're not doing it full time, like people are just out here hustling. And, um, and there's a lot of great musicians in this area. So I'm just, you know, I'm just thankful to be um, just seen as you know as one of the great one of the best you can say it amongst my peers you can you can say it one of the best you can say it you can go ahead <laughs> well look man I'm, I'm far from done I, I don't need I that's the that's the thing I don't even feel like I've hit my best yet awesome. you know? yeah. that's just yeah. kind of where I'm at and the funny thing is the songs that I won for almost didn't get made I just Yo. decided like I'm gonna do these remixes because this is something I want to do and I hadn't you know, put music out in a while. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this and just hit the ground running on it, even in the middle of the pandemic. And those ended up being the songs I I was, I won for. So yeah, it's just one of them things. It's like, don't quit on yourself, bet on yourself always, always. every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he stunted on us a little bit. Like I wasn't even trying to win. I was just doing a little something and now I'm just playing, I'm just playing. <laughs> But uh, but so I want to take it back a little bit to you know uh, to the beginnings of the artist uh, that is Jerome Williams. So um, when you were a young fella, uh, before um, you know singing was even a thing for you, uh, do you remember if people ask you when you were younger what you wanted to be when you grow up? Do you remember what you would say? Oh was man, it always I, singing. I always wanted to be a professional hockey player. Believe it or not. I, I grew up, uh, you know, I, I my grandmother, um, before she passed, like one of the things that we always used to do is we used to go to Capitals games, whether it was at uh, the Cap Center that was in Landover or um, MCI Center, Verizon Center. We used to go to Cap games all the time. That's and, a real DMV dude. He called it the MCI Center. Right. I hey, still call it the MCI Capital, Center. Capital right. Gateway, you know, yeah. Cap, Cap Center, all that stuff. Back in the so, day. Yeah. Um, we we used to go to a lot of hockey games and of course like you know growing up in the 90s that's when the mighty ducks came out and you know of course when you see like two black dudes skating two young dudes skating you're like okay all right i see representation even though you know they still haven't changed i'm getting into that but um that's what i wanted that's what i wanted to do man i was i was out there learning how to do the knuckle puck from d2 you know that's what I wanted, you know, and wow. I, wanted, I always wanted to be some kind of athlete, but at the same time, um, you know, whether it was like archaeology or, 
you know, finding dinosaur bones and things like that, paleontology. I wanted to do things like that. Um, but yeah, entertainment has always been there. It's always been a part of my life. And it's been the one thing that no matter how hard it got, I didn't want to quit. Mm. You know, I think that's when you know, when you see like something you're really passionate about that you just willing to try and try and try, that's how you know that that's where you're supposed to be. Right, right. So, so now I want to kind of illustrate the transition for people. So you was a mighty duck. You was out there, you, you, was, you was practicing to be, uh, you know, a hockey player. So how did music start to become something that you um, wanted to focus on? I'm sure there's a, a journey in between there. But, um, but yeah, how did that become, you know, your focus? Church. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like that's where a lot of us get our start. Um, but I, you know, I'd done the church thing for a while, been, you know, singing in church. I was also singing in, in a choir at school. Um, you know, did a talent show in, in fourth grade. That was kind of like my first uh, solo, uh, you know, putting myself out there. Cool. And, you know, of course, I was the one that was doing, I believe I can fly at, you know, graduations and, um, you know, st started doing national anthems in high school, did musicals, all that type of stuff. And um, I just really enjoyed it, man. And once I got into studio recording, I just love that process. I just, you know, I love like being in the studio for hours and, you know, trying to like analyze, a, you know, how we're going to knock out a verse or how we're going to get this chorus done or, you know, just making music, you know? Um, and then obviously just studying the people I looked up to, you know, like just listening to records, you know, repeatedly until I could get every lyric, every transition, you know, that was kind of my, um, my thing, I kind of just kind of became a student of it and I just loved it. Okay. It's a couple of questions out of what you just said that I want to ask the first one. So, uh, you talked about, uh, the process of being in the studio, um, and how you enjoyed that process. So when I used to record, I always tell, whenever we have artists on here, I, uh, used to have, when I was recording, I used to have what I call a studio survival kit. And so it was a couple of things that I always had to have with me when I was recording music. And so one of the things would be like an energy drink, because, you know, after a while you start to break down, you start to, you know, lose your steam. So you need that kick. I would keep something, uh, some kind of uh, like uh, sweet candy with me or something. I noticed a lot of it is is, is around like um, sugary stuff. And that, that might be why I have issues now with that. But uh, also like a, a big bottle of water you know, and uh, something to read for those, you know, because there's a lot of downtime mixing and, um, you know, um, uh, uh, editing and things like that and arranging. So um, are there things that you, when you were in the studio for those long sessions, uh, did you have like a studio survival kit, anything you had to have with you? Well, I mean, big bottle of water is key because it's like, you know, if, especially if you're doing a vocal session and you're in there for hours, I mean, you got to have that water with you because there's times where, you know, your, your throat gets dried out and you got to get that little swig in just to be able to deliver those notes. Um, ginger, I uh, keep that with me. So like in between takes, you know, just another way to keep my vocal cords fresh. Um, and then like, I mean, yeah, your phone is with you, but I love it because with voice memos now, if I'm, you know, we're writing a song and we're trying to figure out lyrics, I always got my voice memos near me because as I'm just listening to whatever, if I go home and try to work on it, then we can come back with something fresh, but yeah, um, that those that's definitely like my essentials, you know, right, to, right. to have yeah. when I'm in there. Because really, man, like when I'm in there, I'm locked in. Like I'm I'm there as a part of the editing. Like I like to be a, a part of that process. I like to 
you know, hear what the producer is thinking. Like I like to have a conversation with my producer and really see why we're thinking this fits here with this and, you know, how we can make this flow a little better so that, you know, when somebody's back listening to it, they feel like they can have the same kind of experience that, that we're having listening to it on our end. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the other question that I wanted to ask you, you talked about that, uh, that first talent show you did in the fourth grade. Do you remember what song you sang? Yeah, it was, I believe I can fly. Oh, that was it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought he said it anyway. <laughs> I missed it. I'm sorry. It was, um, you know, it was one of those things where my my music teacher back then, and then some of my friends, like as I I was always singing, always whether it was in the halls or you know, like I was that guy when you know people at the lunch table and the song came out, they were like, "Dro, how did I sing that song?" Da, 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 da. And you know, you singing to all the girls at the table or whatever right. and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, it was, I believe I can fly. Cause that was kind of the song at the time. Like like this this generation's version of happy. Like that's yeah. what it was for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that's song I started with and, you know, enunciated every single word and, you know, <laughs> tried to sing it exactly like the record and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, man, the rest is, is history, you know, kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, it's dope. So, um, can you talk a little bit about um, your musical influences, like who you look up to musically? Yeah, um, I mean, Michael Jackson was key. Michael Jackson was like number one. I was, I was listening to like every Michael album, every song. Um, I love Whitney, uh, Stevie, Prince. Uh, my my dad is a huge Prince fan, so of course he had every album. You know, was listening to Prince all the time. So you know, it was like we you know, diamonds and pearls was always, you know, on, <laughs> on, on repeat. Um, you know, so a lot of artists like that, and then even like Usher and Justin Timberlake, Bruno Mars, but I also love Missy Elliott. Um, cause I just love her style. And also because when she came into the game, she was a bigger woman and she was still, you know, hitting it like any other, any other girl group or, you know, solo artists in the game. Right. And, you know, me being a heavier guy, um that kind of has a very similar like r&b hip-hop style yeah. I, I you know definitely just love her you know for what she did and obviously like all the virginia guys like so pharrell timbaland um you know magoo like you know uh, just that whole you know clan that came yeah. together in the 90s and then you found out they was from virginia beach it was like yeah this is possible they can yeah. make it like Come yeah. on, let's let's go up, let's go up ninety five and see what what North Virginia DMV can do. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I make, can I make a comment? I love what you nope, said. No, you about, can't. No, I'm just playing. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> said about Missy Elliott, and then you referenced yourself as far as size and all that. Because I was just talking about that. Um, we was talking about Lizzo and some. She did some sort of new picture or something, and I was on a somebody's status and I rarely comment but I said um at some point we got to realize that we should be we should want to be recognized or um you know whatever notice or whatever you want to call it for our skill set not for our aesthetics yeah. and you just said spoke to that and and Missy Elliott was a great um example and I love that you 
you know, that you reference yourself, like, you know, you, you great at what you do and, and your, you know, your weight or whatever, it doesn't matter. Your, your skill set and your knowledge base speaks for itself. Yeah. And that's, that's the big, that's the biggest thing that I, I try to harp on now, because if we look at the artists that a lot of us grew up on, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, if you think about even like the Motown era and even like the seventies and the eighties, all those artists were different. Like mm-hmm. you, had, you had a Barry White, you had mm-hmm. a Luther Vandross, you had Heavy D, you had mm-hmm. Biggie, you know what I'm saying? Like you had these, you know, guys, who, you know, guys and women who doesn't necessarily fit like this newer mold that everybody's trying to package the, you know, the latest artists into. Mm-hmm. So you have people like that and you saw the successful careers that they had. I'm like, mm-hmm. there should be no reason why my size should be the reason why you don't like what I'm putting out. I mean, because full transparency, even during the pandemic, I turned down a, a record deal for that very same reason. Mm. The publishing people that I was trying, that I was working with said that my size was an issue. So mm. me, immediately I'm like, well, then it's not really about the music then, because if you right. take me as I am, right. I'm still working on myself, because it's not like, I plan to be like this forever. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I plan to, to adopt a healthy lifestyle and I am adopting a healthy lifestyle. And I've mm-hmm. had my issues with, you know, yo-yo dieting and eating mm-hmm. disorders and all these kind of things. A lot of people will look at the, the exterior and not know that. Mm-hmm. Talking to me and knowing me. So when I heard that, when they said that to me, I was immediately like, okay, I already know this is not a relationship that I want to be a part of because- awesome. I- done mm-hmm. especially like when you've seen like you said a lizzo in mm-hmm. this generation like right. now yeah yeah doing that and you had a missy elliott you know so mm-hmm. you know i don't i'm like no nah, size shouldn't be the thing now if you don't think that i can sing well enough or you think my style doesn't fit with what y'all are trying to put out okay cool but mm-hmm. if it's because of my size yeah. nah miss me with that i'll go mm-hmm. somewhere else right yeah yeah awesome awesome yeah, I saw uh, I saw Mike smile when you was talking about it because I know what he was thinking that he's gonna be himself forever, right, Mike? That's what you was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking about the MIC Lizzo get her ass right with like champagne and shit by a bunch of dudes. And, like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, her yeah. Ass crack. that was a crazy. That's, yeah, no, no, no. This, this is what we're, we're talking about. Like her yeah. recent video was. She's twerking and she's got like four or five guys spraying champagne on her ass. And as the, the champagne hit, she split more. She do her thing and it poured on her and shit. And it's like, you, you ask yourself, well, why do men always got be great till it's time to be great? Because you ain't a great ass woman. Look at your ass right now. You, it is anyway, weird. Mike. <laughs> Mike's having a moment. Uh, we it it in. But uh, <laughs> the video, did, did, did you see it? No, I haven't seen it. I'm going to check it out. I though. just watched it about two hours. I'm trying to tell you, it's ridiculous. I sh- I'm, I fucking, I'm not. All right, calm down. <laughs> Let right. me get back to this interview. So anyway, so um, live music is always something that, um, like, I've always been so inspired. Like, and I didn't even realize until I started doing like the open mics and stuff. Mike, stop! You gonna get us cut off for real? Don't do that, Mike. For real, put it down. You gonna get us cut off? Right. But uh, look. So anyway, live music has been something that's um. You know, it's real inspirational to me. So um, the fact that you put together a band, 
you know, that you are, you know, able to find artists and artists that are really dope artists. Cause one of my very best friends is your drummer. And I know how good he is, you know, like he's one of the, you know, the best drummers in the, in the DMV. I'll go as far as to say that uh, my man Cornell Webb. So shout out to him. And um, uh, your band is amazing, man. Y'all have been doing, like I, like I said in the intro, y'all have been doing a lot, you know, um, a lot of venues and things like that. I talked to a lot of artists to talk about uh, how it's uh, that whole process of putting together a band is a difficult process. Did you find any, have any obstacles or issues trying to get, you know, the right people and things of that nature? Yeah, well, first off, let me say Cornell don't get enough credit. That's yeah. one of the baddest drummers in this area. And I wish that people, more people knew about him, uh, especially because with his lineage too, like his right. uncle being Blues Web and, you know, you look up blues, blues is played with a lot of people. Right. And Cornell deserves that same respect. So I, you know, I'm grateful to, to have him as my drummer and, you know, just us meeting through other people. And I mean, that's really the key. You know, when you talk about building a band, a lot of it too really just comes down with who your, your circle of musicians is. And, right. you know, you, you, you play out with other people or you, you know, you meet other people in passing or you've seen them on stage and you're like, man, like those people really fit the style that I have. And nowadays what we're seeing in today's music industry, unless you're out touring with somebody, a lot of artists play in multiple bands. Right. They're not just tied to one group. But I would just say like the biggest thing that helped me that, that worked for me was I was just really focused on finding positive people. That was, that was step one, because I'd rather work with somebody who's positive and you can coach along the way than somebody who's already like professional expert level and they kind of throw that in your face. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's okay. To, it's great that you've done music for 20, 30 years, but if you're not, if you're no longer coachable, if you're no longer like able to kind of fit in with a group and say like, Hey, I'm doing this for the betterment of the group then it, it makes it for a more difficult situation. And fortunately, right out the gate, when I formed my band in 2016, Jerome um, Williams Experience, I just had positive dudes in front of me who they just, they wanted to play, they love playing, and we just love being around each other. Yeah. You know, they, they became my, my brothers, you know, and I've even, like I said, even when women I hire, whether it's instrumentalists or vocalists, I look for that same thing. I'm, I'm just looking for positive people who love what we do and love being around one another because the, the more you love being around each other, the more you're going to play together. And my thing is, I just was determined to take care of them from day one. A lot of people don't know this, but the first like year or two that we were all playing as a band, there were some gigs I wasn't taking home any money. I was paying everybody else first because I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of because if your band feels like they're taken care of, they're going to take care of you and they're going to, they're going to stay with you longer because they see that, okay, this person recognizes our worth. So I really say that to anybody who wants to form a band, like take care of your band. But then when you, you know, you start getting the gigs and the, and the bigger opportunities start coming in, like, yes, definitely start looking back out for yourself too. Cause that's where kind of where I'm at now, where I put in this investment and now I can kind of start to pay myself back a little bit, but yeah, that's the key, man. It's just positive positivity, man. I just, I just love being around people who love what we do and just yeah. want to have fun, you know, and yeah. 
and can can also be adaptable you know we do some things on the fly sometimes during gigs and it works sometimes it doesn't but we just have fun doing what we do and that's that's why i love those brothers man they're they're family to me now so so, um the jero williams experience is the name of the band right yeah 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 that's dope (laughs) something i'm still working on but you know it's it originally started because you know for when you're playing out places you can't necessarily go as a solo artist because when you're playing bars and like small clubs they they would think that you are literally a solo just you coming by yourself right so you got to put a little into it or kind of give yourself this you know alias name or whatever right right so that's why I just chose Jerome Williams experience because when you come to see us play, you know, we're not just up there playing the songs. Like we make it a show, even if the music isn't ours, you know, we, yeah, yeah. we perform it like we, like we wrote it, you know, right, right. <laughs> but still capture the originality and the musicianship that you would when you listen to those songs on the radio. Right. Right. So, um, who, uh, so uh, all your band members, who's the best music? No, I'm just playing. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> oh, you're trying to get in trouble on here, see? Right, right. So I do want to talk to you, though, about one of the many things that you do about, um, uh, you said you sung the national anthem at a number of sporting events. How did you get into doing that? Oh, man. Um, well, I, the first national anthem gig I did was like for a, a hit-a-thon for my school's baseball team, my high school team. Mm um so that we did that first and you know you kind of get your your feel for it because singing the national anthem is not as easy as people think it is um you know you you got to have that you got to know where your where your key is you got to come in right (laughs) you got to know where your range is because we've seen it where you know you have a fergie incident some you know i I love fergie but yeah okay anyway she you know (laughs) I got those opportunities just from um, graciously from connections, Um, you know, just whether I knew somebody who had worked on one team and they were looking for anthem singers and then somebody reached out to me. And then, um, you know, like I said, you just go in and you you knock it out. You you do what they ask you to do. It wasn't about me going out there and showing how how well I could sing. It was really like, how well can I sing the national anthem? in the time that you want me to sing it. I wasn't out there to like embellish and do all these runs and everything else. And not saying there's anything wrong with that, but certain places have a time limit because they have to move on to get the game started on time because of like corporate and sponsorships and all these other things. It's not about you. So, you know, because of that, I was able to do the anthem for the nationals, the capitals, the wizards, the mystics, um the i mean you know pretty much majority of all the major major dc sports teams um i even went down to uh national spring training in florida one year and and did the national anthem down there nice so you know it's just one of those opportunities that i've been blessed to do and as a black man to be out there singing the national anthem in front of crowds that are predominantly white let's just be real about it I think that for me, that was a turning point, Um, you know, just kind of being a black man in America, you know, and I, I, again, I just want to still be that torch, you know, that that we continue to, 
you know, try to move forward even through all this stuff that's been going on. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope, man. And um, yeah, you say you sang for most of the, the sports teams. Except you said it's only one that uh that you haven't sang for yet. We're gonna get you in there, man. Yeah, DC United. I, I don't I'm know. putting a call to DC United. I know some people that know some people. Yeah. I got you. We're gonna get there. Man, singing at FedEx Field was 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 a pretty crazy experience, even though it was raining the whole time. And wow. you know, this was the this was the point in time when you know we were still trying to figure the whole situation out with the team and everything else. But you know, that was that was a great experience too. I, I definitely won't wouldn't take that for granted but yeah dc united if you're listening hey come on just <laughs> what y'all waiting for man he done sign for everybody else get him in there anyway we're gonna, we're gonna I'm, I'm gonna reach out to some people uh but anyway <laughs> so you talked a little bit about um about the way the music business is now and um how do you feel about the way r&b as a um you know as a whole has been going lately like um, a lot of people have issues with like um uh, things like saying things like it's losing its soul. It's not as, you know, powerful as it once was and things of that nature. Um, no, no. But first of all, I noticed that you make an effort in all of your music to uh, to make sure that it has that pull to it, that that soulfulness to it. And so I appreciate that. But um, like the stuff that you hear on the radio, the stuff that's popular that's um, right now, like how do you feel about it? It's, it's what you're saying, man. It, it R&B is not what it used to be. It's, it's transformed. And I, but I also think music overall has, has transformed, you know, it's like no genre is kind of like standalone, like it used to be like now it is, you're starting to see a lot of genres fused together. Like you, you're right. starting to see country artists that are becoming more pop or becoming country rock or you know now you're seeing r&b where when we were growing up or our parents were growing up r&b was really soulful whereas now it's merged into the hip-hop and rap and trap vein and just because it's got a singer on it that's considered r&b right you know it's 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 taking on a, a new set of legs and you know i I was uh, talking to another musician about this recently. Mm -hmm. And I think like all of us have that one decade or that one period in time where we kind of lose, like we don't really vibe with a certain decade of right. a genre that we love. Like I know for me, it's it's all about eighties and nineties R and B. That's the, that's the, mm -hmm. that's what I love. And then even like in the early mid two thousands, like say up until like, Usher's Confessions, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> okay, yeah. everything before that, up until that point. And then things after that, I was just kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. Right. So I, I think the R&B, there's still a special form to it. And we have a lot of artists here, here who fit into that R&B soul um, mode, but you've also got a lot of R&B now that is very hip hop heavy. You know, mm -hmm. it's very rap heavy um and they just we just they just don't make songs like they used to and i don't know if that's because there's no instrument there's not the amount of musicianship in it anymore versus just getting with a producer and making electronic beats and things like that and it's not say there's nothing wrong with that but it's going to be very rare that we hear like another earth wind and fire out there right you know or another type of motown era because things are just so electronic now yeah, yeah. um it's not to say it's a bad thing, 
But what I what I would like to see moving forward in R&B is I would just like to see people being more original. Because right now what we're seeing is everybody is trying to be everybody else. Right. Like you're trying to see what's hot right now. Oh, I got to make my music like that because that's what people are listening to. Yeah. That didn't happen with Stevie. That didn't happen with Marvin. That didn't happen with Michael. That didn't happen, you know, like, yeah, they had their influences. They had some things that are similar to each other, but they, it was never like, at least as far as I know, that's how I got to make, I got to make my music like this. Yeah. That didn't really start happening until the 90s. Yeah, it was a no, force to cop, no. and it came from like the industry. Like I've seen, you know, artists, amazing artists. When I was in uh, New York and New Jersey recording, it was a young lady that I was working with, and um, she had these two producers, guys that she was working with, who were quote unquote industry guys. It might have had like one or two songs or something, but and not knocking them, but their whole mindset was exactly what you were talking about was following the trends. Because I would sit and watch her record two or three songs and they all had to be one, this one style. And then just the next day, literally the next day, one of the guys came in and was like, oh, I heard a, a song by A. Marie that had like a go-go feel to it. So we gonna scrap everything you did and do all songs like that. And it's like, and they kept, and she got so frustrated. I think she moved to like Wyoming or something. She live on a farm now. She don't even sing no more, but it, it just got so much for her. It was crazy, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely, seeing that whole copycat, you know, influence in, in, in music. And so it's awesome that people like yourself, um, you know, like you said, there are a lot of artists in this area that are more, um, you know, that are more apt to take risks and more apt to, you know, just uh, channel their originality, you know, and uh, uh, that's something that you definitely do. And, uh, and a couple of people from this area, and I really appreciate it, man. So um, I mean, and my thing is too, like I make, I have music that's R&B soul. I have music right. that's R&B hip hop. I have music right. that's R&B pop. Like I like rap. I like to rap, but you know, it's like my rap is not necessarily like kind of like the trap rap that you see now. It's more like the, the, like your, your Tupac, like tribe called quest, that mm -hmm. type of thing mm -hmm. where it's more storytelling. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's more connecting the dots based on what you're talking about like what the song is about, not just, you know, popping bottles. And I do have a song like with that, that I did with an artist, but again, that was what he wanted. So right, yeah, yeah. that collaboration yeah. piece, but when I'm doing like my type of stuff, I, I definitely do give an ode to like the old school R&B where it was a lot of innuendo and it was a lot of just like love in the air type of, type of feel, but you're also getting that story at the end of the day when you're, you know, listening to the message. So, right. I, I love music, but you know, it's like everybody connects with that specific decade or like that, you know, specific type of artist. Um, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And in fact, again, we talked about this on one of the shows. Um, we had another guest on, but, um, the frequency of the music matters and it changed right around the time you were mentioning and that, um, especially, um, you know, it, it probably feels like some of it doesn't speak to your spirit and rightfully so because it it's not um if it's below a certain you know megahertz or i'm sorry higher than a certain uh megahertz then you're 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 it doesn't feel right so the the artists that you mentioned like stevie wonder you didn't mention uh lionel richie but lionel mm -hmm. richie on um, the gap band mm -hmm. though all of that music 
was, I believe, 432 megahertz um, or above. And so when they changed the megahertz and the music, the frequency of the music, um, it, it feels different to us. It's no longer like a soulful music. It's, yeah, the vibration. You know, yeah. so like if you say R&B is rhythm and blues and rhythm and blues speaks to our soul. And so when you change rhythm and blues and you change the frequency, then it we it feels different, just like you said. It's a different. Yeah, that, yeah that's that's true. I you know it's funny. I didn't even think of it like that. Um, <laughs> you know, it, but it's true because and there was just so many subtle things that each of those artists did. But I but specifically when you look at the musicianship and you look at how those artists were using live instruments, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a lot of engineered stuff. And again, it's not to say that using engineered stuff is bad. It does help to streamline more music and you can put music out quicker, but Mm -hmm. there's just something genuine and organic about hearing every instrument that is, is that they put on those songs. And even when things are not right on the tempo, like five are famous for that. Like, you know, you hear it in the songs, you go back, everything is not a, you know, one, two, three, four, yeah, yeah, yeah. something slightly off the beat too. Yeah. And I think that's what really, it's that originality that, that mm. we miss in today's music, you know, yeah. but yeah. I mean, there's still artists out here that are writing those songs that really make you feel and writing mm-hmm. those songs are deep from the heart, you know, yeah. um, and we need that, you know, we need more of that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. What's the, uh, What's the best advice you've ever gotten in your music career? Man, um, I just go back to, uh, it's, it's very simple. Um, back in 2007, I was uh, grateful enough to do a gig for Michael Buble. Um, it was, uh, you know, just like a one-time thing. We, we, um, we backed him as a choir mm-hmm. on one of his songs, uh, That's Life, which is a Sinatra song. Um, and um, I talked to him after the show because, um, you know, he's, I mean, one of the most personable people that I've ever met as a, as an artist, as a celebrity. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's just so rare. And, I, you know, I talked to him after the show and I asked him, I said, do you have any advice, you know, just for upcoming, you know, artists? And he was just like, don't ever stop. It was that simple. And I mm. think just hearing it from him. Mm that was what inspired me you know because yeah. i'm like if he's saying that and i and i the more I've, I've known about his story and i've heard about how he came up i believe it right. you know because like sometimes when those opportunities come you just gotta you know make it happen but you cannot you can't let yourself get in the way right i think we do that too much to ourselves like we stop ourselves before you know it's possible to see what we can achieve and so to hear him say that, I've kept that with me. That was back in 2007, and here it is, you know, 2021. And yeah, I still did yeah. that. Because I just believe that every day I wake up, something great might happen if mm-hmm. I actually, like, allow myself to go there. You know, right, we, have right. our, we have our good and bad days, but, you know, you just it's just a matter of waking up each day and saying something great could happen today, and I just got to be ready for it if it comes. Definitely. I'm gonna keep working till it does. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah, I love asking people that question. And I'm gonna tell you why, because I've never had anybody be like, oh, I don't know what the best, uh, you know, advice that we got. Everybody has a moment. And the fact that you said it was 2007 and you've kept that moment with you all that time shows the power of influence and what <laughs> something as small as some words can mean to somebody. And so with that being said, when the next, uh, the next Jerome Williams comes up to you asking you for advice, like what would you say to somebody who, you know, only has one Webby award, <laughs> you know, who's trying to get the three, like, you know, hey. no, but uh, what would you say to somebody uh, who's, who's aspiring to be a singer and, and make it in this business? Even if they don't have any, you know? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I know that was just a stupid thing. joke. I thought I was gonna get a bigger laugh if it didn't, but anyway. Let's <laughs> 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 just keep on moving past that. One. <laughs> oh, no, no. You know, honestly, if, if there was another artist that a, a younger artist or an aspiring artist, because I also want to put that out there too, because one of the most fortunate things that I've seen in this, in this industry, especially in this area, I'm seeing artists in their 30s and 40s just starting. Right. That's inspirational to me too, you know, seeing that there are people out there that you don't have to start this in your teens and your twenties, and you don't have to be successful by then, you know, or be considered a failure. That's, that's not the case. I, I think if I gave anybody any advice, I would just tell them to stay humble because you can get humbled very quickly in this business, you know, and and that's that's the thing whether it's just be humble in your work you know always be looking to do like the next big thing like where you're at in that moment in time is not the biggest moment of your life like there's always more to aspire for Mm -hmm. but also too because i've seen people who out hustle very talented people Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's like we let the fact that we're talented get in the way of working hard and I've seen, I've seen it in my own case, mm. the fact that there's, there's a bunch of people that I know who are way more talented than me and doing far less than I know they're capable of mm. because they just haven't worked as hard as I have. And I, I agree with that sentiment. I don't know if it's that many people that's more talented than you, bro, but go ahead with your, <laughs> go ahead with what you say. I, look, bro, I know them. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying like, there's a lot of amazing people out there who are fully capable of doing the same things that I'm doing. I but there's times where you let your talent get in the way because you think your talent is going to push you there. Yeah. And that's why I would just say the biggest piece of advice I give anybody is just stay humble. Yeah. Stay humble because you, if you're not going if you get humbled by this industry, you you'll get humbled by the people you work with because they'll check you or you'll get humbled by something that happens to you on a day-to-day basis. There's always going to be some experience that when you ascend to a new level, it's going to get that much harder. Mm. So you just got to stay humble throughout the whole process. And, you know, when people want to tell you how great you are and they want to tell you how amazing you are, I'm just like, I appreciate it. I do. I do. But at the same time, I know that I have not reached my peak yet. So I'm going to just keep working for that. So yeah, stay humble. That's dope, man. That's dope. So, um, yeah, it's about uh, 8.30, so I'm going to um, uh, start to wrap it up. I have two questions that I always ask everybody who comes on the show, and I, I'm going to ask you um, um, both of them. So the first one is, um, if you could talk to young Jerome Williams, if you could uh, get in the time machine and go back to when you were, say, maybe 12 years old, 
and you had that young man standing in front of you with everything you've been through, all the wisdom you've gained, uh, all the information you've accrued through your life. What would that conversation be like? What kind of things would you say to him? I, I would tell him to, you know, love himself more. Um, I think that's one of the things I didn't do well enough growing up. I didn't love myself enough. Um, part of that was because, you know, I was bullied all throughout middle school. So, you know, part of that was because of, you know, my weight, my size and whatnot. Um, you know, and everybody knew I could sing. They knew I was talented, but at the same time, it was like, I just didn't fully believe in myself the way that I should have. I, um, so I would say that was the the biggest thing because, you know, I spent a lot of time alone because my parents were working. My parents were working seven days a week, multiple jobs, you know, just to make sure we could provide, you know, we had. Mm. And, um, you know, I had family looking out for me, but at the same time, I spent a lot of days alone and just, you know, being uh, focusing on academics and you know, those type of things, but I didn't really love myself enough to like go out and do more and try more. So I would just say to that, to the younger me, you know, love yourself. Like you are enough. You, you are, you're capable, you know, you, you can do all the things that you, that, that you know, you want to do. Right. You just can't, you know, just don't live in fear of trying it and okay with failing at it. You know, yeah. that's the biggest thing I would say. Yeah, yeah, that that uh that that fear is crazy. I've I've dealt with that myself, you know, for a long time. So I definitely identify with that, and I appreciate uh, that answer. And uh, the the second question that I ask everyone is, um, you performed a lot. You've been on a lot of stages. You've had a lot of eyes on you. You had a lot of people looking at you. When people see Jerome Williams, what is it that you hope they see? I just hope they see somebody that that wants everybody to love life, uh, that wants to have a good time and wants to have fun when we're in this experience together. Um, and and just see somebody who loves the music, you know, loves the experience. Cause I was talking to a producer about this and he he said, you know, when somebody comes out to see an artist, they're coming to see their relationship with music. Mm. You know, if you really think about that and it, it hit me because I was like, yeah. wow, like, damn, okay. Because you do, you see That's how true. music has impacted somebody's life through how they're performing and how they share it with, right. you know, with the people that are coming to see them. So that's that's really all I, I hope that that people see this. You know, like I said, somebody I put love into everything I do, and I care about the people that I'm with, and I care about, you know, whether you're in the band or you're in the audience or whatever it is, whatever the relationship is that we have, you know, um, I, I say it like I, I, I play hard and I love hard, you know, that's just kind of, that's kind of my MO. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerome Williams, uh, I want to thank you, first of all, for, for, uh, for coming through and doing this with us. Uh, you guys can find The Way I Feel, his whammy award-winning song and uh, all of his music through his website is www.jerollwilliams.com um and i'll let you um you know let, let people know where they can find you on social media um and uh also uh spell out your name for them so i don't mess it up because i'm terrible with that even though i'm looking at it i feel like i'll but uh yeah so uh that's jerollwilliams.com and i'll let you take it from there 
yeah um facebook instagram twitter spotify soundcloud everywhere <laughs> that you can find music or uh you go on social media you can find me it's uh at i am i a m Dro j-a-r-r-e-a-u williams um so yeah just uh feel free to connect with me also i do have a mailing list as well um i saw my link tree which is pretty much all of my um accounts in one place um i do have a link there as well to join my mailing list i send out uh, weekly kind of updates and just let people know like what i'm working on like what i'm writing you know just i, I also get people involved like if i'm you know looking to um you know work on cover art and i'm like hey which which album cover do y'all like or hey like i'm writing this song about this what comes to your mind when you think of this i really like people being a part of this experience because it really makes them feel like they're a part of the process and they can say they were right there when that happened or look back on that um so i do have a mailing list so feel free to join my mailing list be a part of it connect with me um yeah so there it is can I say yeah please <laughs> look i just want to tell you two things first thing is i'm listening to everything that you said and um not that I'm like the queen of advice or anything, but this is just on my spirit to tell you. And when you talked about like the things that you've learned and <clears throat> the journey, um, I'm not in music, you know, but I am a, a what they call an entrepreneur. And one thing that I've learned that's most important is to honor your divine connections. So all of the all of the like how you talked about how you got your opportunities, and you know other people that you know might maybe they could have gotten the opportunity but you were the one that got them because those are your divine connections and you have to honor those and like keep them sacred and keep them with you and, and the, your, your divine connections are like the trunk of a tree and everything else is the branches mm -hmm. but you honor the trunk and the, the branches the leaves will always grow second thing i cook i do meal prep you talked about you know weight loss and all that healthy living just letting you know i you know i do a meal spread i can hook you up so <laughs> on, chef. yeah yeah i was like she's trying to get some business nah, oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I appreciate that and i appreciate y'all just you know having these conversations and, and doing what y'all do because you know that's that's what we need we need more of that so yeah, please keep sure. on that, y'all. Seriously. So, Fruit Fit, F-R-U-F-I-T. So, make sure you follow me, connect. Okay. Cool. Right. Keep shining. Uh, yeah, you got the uh, the underscore on Instagram, right? F-R-U underscore F-I-T, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but uh, I, I want to say, um, you know, I think that um, meeting you first and getting to know you as a genuine individual May when I found when I found your music and found out how good you really were, it made that experience so much richer and so much better. You deserve everything you've been getting and a million times more. I know you're gonna do great things. You know what I'm saying? I'm just excited to see you, you know, progress from here. Uh, uh ladies and gentlemen, it's been Jerome Williams here on the neighbors live cast. I want to thank you guys for checking out another episode with us. Uh Mike has been uncharacteristically quiet for a few minutes. You okay? You uh you you, you sleepy? I know you had a long day. The weed I got is hitting the rice heavy. and roast waiting on me. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get you to your rice and your roast.
But uh, <laughs> so yeah, check us out next week. We'll be back with more entertainment, more education, more fun, more great interviews. On behalf of myself, Super Dave, aka Mr. Incredible, my brother Jess Mike, uh, Feminine Energy, uh, Patrice Jones, uh, the the personification, I can't even talk, the personification of Black Girl Magic, Miss Isha, and our illustrious guest, the one and only, very talented, Jerome Williams. Y'all have a great week, and uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Push you, man. Peace. Uh.